I'm Dr. Lisa Stabas with American Humane, and you're listening to Common Bonds Radio. Hi, I'm Kelly Burley, and it's time for Episode 2 of our podcast. Coming up, a visit with the head of an Oklahoma shelter that has literally been going the extra mile to give dogs across our state a new lease on life. And author Kate Strum shares her short story called The Dog I Need. That's all just ahead after this roundup of news from the world of cats and dogs. Oklahoma Humane's Spay-Neuter Mobile Clinic is rolling across the state on behalf of responsible pet ownership. In October, the surgical unit made its first trip to Poto in southeastern Oklahoma, working with three girls rescued to spay and neuter 17 dogs and 11 cats. Round two was a scheduled visit to Clinton on October 22nd. After that, OK Humane plans another 13 clinics across the state before the end of the year. Animal cruelty is an all-too-often occurrence that comes in many forms. Case in point, the numbers from Oklahoma City, where the City Animal Welfare Agency has taken up more than 2,000 animal cruelty calls so far this year. OKC Animal Welfare Superintendent John Gary says the agency's work to combat animal cruelty is a top priority to transform Oklahoma City as a humane place for all animals. John breaks down some of the different types of cases his agency works, as well as efforts to educate the community, in his regular column for The Oklahoman, published October 23rd. And finally, a new study is pointing to a lack of diversity among those who give to animal causes. According to Mark Cooper's work published by the animal rescue organization Phonolytics, whites and females are more likely to give to animal causes, while blacks, Asians, and men are more likely to support other issues. Cooper's statistical analysis also breaks down the giving preferences of contributors, with animal donors disproportionately giving to environmental charities, charities supporting troops or veterans, and disaster relief. Conversely, the research shows that those not giving to animal causes are more likely to financially support places of worship and educational institutions and charities. The study is available at phonolytics.com. Just click on the Explore by Topic and Companion Animal tabs. Benita, Oklahoma is home to a bus station of a different sort, and its passengers come from all over the state to experience a life-saving 600-plus-mile journey. Nearly every week for the past three and a half years, the Peaceful Animal Adoption Shelter's Ride to Rescue program has sent 25 to 30 abandoned dogs by bus to Denver, Colorado, where they are given a second chance to find a loving forever home through the Dumb Friends Animal League. The dog transport program is celebrating a milestone in November, relocating its 5,000th dog, who is aptly named Homer, for adoption with new families in Colorado. I visited with the Benita Paws Executive Director, Kay Stout, on a recent transport day to learn more about her and the program. I got a phone call from uh, Danny and Gail Cressup saying they would like to interview me for a job up here. And I can remember thinking, I wonder how they found my name. So I drove up to interview for it and later found out I was really one of the only ones they were interviewing, as I understand it. And then I found out that Christy Counts had been the one who recommended me. And so I came up here to fulfill the dream of the founding board members of the Peaceful Animal Adoption Shelter. We have fulfilled the dream, just not like they thought they thought we would. 
Well, tell us what the original dream was and how that has evolved. The original dream and part of the mission statement says a peaceful animal adoption shelter would save thousands of dogs every year, homeless dogs every year, and cats every year. And we do today, but we certainly don't do it in the traditional way that they had envisioned, which we would be a local animal shelter and people would walk through our doors, adopt the dogs and cats, and take them into their loving homes. The dogs do go into loving homes in Colorado, and we've saved almost 5,000. Tell me the story about how uh, you connected PAWS with uh, this transport uh, program in Colorado. Sure. Whenever I have a problem, I get in the car and drive behind an 18-wheeler because nobody's going to mess with you and think. And I've always solved problems by who do I know? Who do I know? And I had heard Roger Hastings speak at a conference that uh, the Kirkpatrick Foundation had put on. And in it, he said, you know, people need to look at the operational cost for an organization and find viable solutions for long-term success. I thought, that sounds like what I'm trying to do here. So I called Roger, explained my challenge. We had 50 dogs, 75 cats. We had 150 dogs waiting to come in. We had over 175 cats waiting to come in, and nobody was adopting. And he said, I'm going to put you in touch with Bob Brody. He's at Dumb Friends League. He's kind of a tough old coot, but give, give him a shot. So I called Bob on, I sent the obligatory emails and connected, and then I called Bob on the phone and said, yeah, I, we would really like to talk to you about doing a transport. We don't take shelter dogs. You'll take my dogs. I'll give you three chances. You're on, Bob. And so we started with a red pickup and an alpaca trailer. And then when we got a few more dogs going, it was the red pickup and the Budweiser trailer. And then eventually they began to like our dogs because we were sending the very best dogs, and I realized we were. And they wanted to know if we could do more. And I said, yes. And that really came into fruition and, and kind of crystallized in April of 2016 at a meeting in, at the Minder School of Business. And there were two other rescues, myself and then Bob Rohde and April Steele from Dumb Friends League, and April's now their CEO. And Bob leans back in his chair and he said, I can take 60 dogs from Oklahoma every week. And I said, Paws will send you 30. He said, you're on. And I got in the van and drove back and I said, we have to send 30 dogs to Colorado every week. And you know, Rhonda, uh, my veterinary technicians, our veterinary technician said, how are we going to do it? And I said, I haven't a clue. Let's figure it out. And so we just started slowly, 10 at a time and then 15 at a time. And we had a philanthropist who believed, a family, philanthropic family who believed in us. And so they would, they bought us a black van, which we thought would take care of everything. And then when we realized we need a bigger van, they bought the white van. And that made all the difference in the world because now we were real and everything Dumb Friends League asks us to do, we then ask all of our municipal shelter partners to do as well. So literally, if they told me to eat peanut butter, I'd do it. And everybody follows the same rules, and we now have a reputation of sending wonderful dogs to Colorado. How many to this point? Right at 5,000. And we'll be sending out, I think, 27 on a Tuesday night tonight. When, uh, and they will, those who are fixed will most likely be in a home by this weekend. Those that need to be fixed will have their spay neuters on Friday, Saturday, and they'll go up on the floor by Tuesday. And will almost without exception, all of our dogs are adopted before the next uh, transport arrives. So you're effectively serving as a hub. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your partner shelters in Oklahoma who uh, transport their dogs to your facility for transport to Colorado. 
for me, that's the most rewarding part about being a hub is that you are able to save so many dogs from rural com- for us from rural communities, and they don't have to face the agonizing euthanization of an adoptable dog because of space. We have them rotating and coming through on schedules, and they range from driving 500 miles to only driving 40 miles, but they're all willing to make this sacrifice and bring those dogs to us with all of the uh, applicable papers, health certificates, everything that's required of them, so that when they go on to Colorado, they've already been pre-screened by Colorado because they've seen their pictures and their qualifications on our closed group on Facebook and have accepted them. And I always tell everybody, Mark Zuckerberg had no idea that when he wanted to date, I was going to use his system to save dogs in Colorado. Oh, great. Talk to me about uh, the, the receiving uh, families in Colorado. I guess the, 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 the demand is there, definitely. Not only is the, de- <clears throat> the demand there, but April at one point asked me if I would write a letter, which they would be willing to put in all of the folders of Paws Dogs. So the top of the letter is written kind of cheesy as though I was the dog. And then the bottom of the letter is written from me and my heart. And it, the letter just goes in there. And that's all. And whenever it gets up to a certain sum of money, they send us a very nice check because people will give them money over and above the adoption fee, earmarked for pause. And the checks, when we get them, range from seven to $10,000. The program has worked. Talk about the proof in the pudding. The proof in the pudding is when you realize Vanita is probably our best example. They were euthanizing adoptable dogs on a somewhat regular basis because of space. Since we have opened they have n- and started transport, they have not euthanized for space. And with that and our spay-neuter program in Vanita, this last year there were only 102 dogs that even went through our system to go to Colorado, which is tremendous because at one point they were euthanizing as many as 30, highest was, ever was 70 in a month. You mentioned the spay-neuter program. Talk to me a little bit about that. That's right now. It's a weekly uh, event that you do here. Um, What's involved? A lot of love, a lot of hard work, and some good food at the end. The the spay-neuter is the end solution to the front problem, and the front problem is the overpopulation, so you transport those out. And then you solve that overpopulation over time with regular, consistent spay-neuter programs that have different levels of participation so that everybody qualifies to get their animal fixed. And 30 to 35 dogs and cats will come through here on a Friday. First, females arrive, female, I've learned a lot. Female dogs arrive at 7.30. Male dogs arrive at 8.30. Female cats arrive at 9. And male cats arrive at 10. Because that's the time span for all of them. And we, the People stay with their pet until they go to surgery, and then they go into a waiting area, and then they stay with their pet till it's awake enough to go home. And it's rewarding for them, but it's especially rewarding for all of us because we get to see firsthand 31 animals that will not either cause a litter or have a litter. That's tremendous. I'd like for you to kind of take me through a, a typical week because you've got the spay-neuter program, you've got the, the transport program and and um, given your the the size of your facility and such uh, those two programs really don't overlap they can't overlap right so talk to me a little bit about what your week looks like 
Monday and Tuesday, we're busy. We have vans pulling in from all over the state of Oklahoma. There's usually four or five different municipal shelters, and they will pull in on a scheduled time. So if we tell you 1 o'clock, we're going to wait till 1 o'clock, we need to eat lunch. <laughs> but you'll come in on a scheduled time, and your dogs will come in, and we already know the dog's name, and we already have that name up on one of the kennels. And so as the dog comes in, it goes to the right kennel. And everybody comes in on a Monday and a Tuesday. So all of the dogs that will go out on a Tuesday night transport are never here very maximum, not quite 40 hours. And then they're already headed to uh, Colorado. Wednesday, massive cleaning up, sterilization, and so on. Thursday, getting set up to do the spay-neuter clinics. Friday, working extremely hard from 7 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon. And then we eat lunch together and talk and relax, and everybody goes home and goes to bed. So you have your hands full between the spay-neuter program and the transport program. Um, we've talked about the fact that it works. Um, talk to me about how this could work in other locations in Oklahoma. It could work beautifully. And I really sometimes probably sound <clears throat> somewhat like you know the born-again person who's seen the light and wants to get everybody to follow along. It is a The basic outline of this program will work in any rural community that would like to no longer see homeless dogs and cats suffering on the side of the road or farmers and ranchers being inundated with dogs that are thrown out or cats that are thrown out by other people when they don't want them. And it works so well that you could have hubs in different areas of the state that would be a building just designed as a hub that would serve the municipal shelters. And those municipal shelters could then not have to face that agonizing reality of having to euthanize a beautiful dog because they have no one to adopt it and they have no space to keep it in. If it can go to Colorado and then you can spay neuter behind so you don't get so many the next year, three to five years you begin to see this is doable. But it takes three to five years of massive both ways, transport out and spay neuter behind. So talk to me, Kay, a little bit about uh, the sales job that you had to to go through that process that you had to go to 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 win over your board to really transform this facility from a shelter into a transport hub. It was really difficult, especially for those on the board that this had been a dream of theirs. They had envisioned that this beautiful building would be built. And some people, I'm not too sure where they thought they were going to come from, but these people would suddenly appear and walk through the door and take this perfect animal home with them. And it didn't happen. They understood that it didn't happen, but they still wanted to make it happen. And so I got a lot of pushback from them. Why don't I keep dogs here so they can wait for home? And it, finally they understood. I, none of us can walk down one of the kennel rooms and look at dogs that have been there for three weeks waiting for a home when we know that dog could be in a home sleeping on somebody's bed in five days. There's no way from a humane point of view for us that we could do that. And eventually, when they saw the stories coming back of the happy animals, and we began to get recognition for what we were doing, they slowly realized this works. It was not an easy sell, and they did not always like me. But I dug my heels in. I absolutely knew. And also, I also knew I had three people that were going to back me no matter what. And that helped because it was hard for them to give up on a dream. And I understood that. But I also understood that dream was not reality. 
it takes a village, and you mentioned those folks that were backing you there. Um, tell me about the rest of your team that helps make this a reality. Rhonda Norris is uh, the veterinary, registered veterinary technician who manages all the programs. So she manages Pets for Life, the spay-neuter clinic, and oversees the Ride to Rescue. Lacey does Pets for Life here in Vanita, and she also helps Rhonda with the uh, Ride to Rescue. Mike is our facilities manager. He can fix anything that has a moving part. He can figure out any schematic, He and he loves the dogs, and he's this is the cleanest shelter anybody will ever see. You can almost eat off the floor and not have to worry about it. Doug works very well with him, and then we have Cassie, who's a part-time employee, and she does a lot of data input because it's heavily data-driven with input of the animals and their pictures and their all of their statistics. And then Mary's at our front desk, and she answers the phone and tries to keep a cool when everybody else is losing it on the phone with her. And then there's me. I'm the executive director. As you look out toward the future, uh, what do you see as your biggest need? What are some of the things you'd like to see happen as you continue this work? With sustainable funding, we could set the kind of example that Oklahoma City did with the Murrah bombing. We could set that kind of, the Oklahoma standard. I saw what could happen with the Oklahoma standard when everybody pulled together against impossible odds. And then just from a business point of view, MAPS, the MAPS programs have done the same thing for Oklahoma City. Everybody pulling together for this common cause of 90% live release rate is doable. It takes funding and it takes sustainable funding. And then it takes people who believe in the dream and want to make it a reality. Kay, when you think back over all of the work that has you, that you've been involved with here, um, talk to me about just personally uh, what this all means to you. What it means to me is that I look in the face of a scared dog today, and I know that in five days it's going to be living the lap of luxury in Colorado. We are their voice. They don't have a voice. They look to us for their voice. And we have to represent them in such a way. For me, I want to know that when I go to bed at night, we have done the very best job we could do to save the maximum number of homeless dogs in Oklahoma and give them a wonderful new chance in Colorado. Kay Stout is the executive director of Vanita Paws. To learn more, visit VanitaPaas.com. It's time again to explore the special bond we have with our dogs and cats. And this week, award-winning author Kate Strom shares her story. The dog I need. I used to think I wanted a dog who would dash out of bed before sunrise to motivate me out on a run. Evelyn sleeps until I do wakes for food and the briefest of bathroom breaks before refolding herself into the covers to sleep until midday. I run alone through the dark, cold mornings. On weekends, I walk her after, slowly in the sun when she has had time to rest and wake again. And she knows the days of the week, too. She keeps it easy until my workday is done and then is finally ready to greet the world in full. We walk, long and rambling, circuitous routes through our small town, this time of year kicking up leaves splattered by all of autumn's audacious tones. Gone are the days of my one-walk-a-day guilt. She is who she is, and despite years of effort, she has remained the same, 
If she is happy, finally, so am I. Saturdays, she takes advantage of my flexibility. In and out, and in and out, to position herself in a slice of winter sun, or broil under summer's relentless gaze. Sundays, we go to the mountains. This dog, who cannot be compelled by sweet talk, savory morsels, or even the tug of a leash on a drizzly morning, tackles 10 miles and 3,000 feet of elevation, leaving me short of breath behind her. I used to think I wanted a dog who got along with everyone. Evelyn has mellowed over the years. She likes most dogs, loves cats, but deep down she is here for the people. I have no doubt she considers herself one of us. At nearly nine, they call her a senior, but she is strong and excited at greetings, still. She is a pit bull, and so I am careful, not because of her, but because of the dangers of our American myths. She has a few friends she plays hard and fast with, otherwise she could take or leave most dogs. Only, if you push her, persist in playing when she has had enough, she will let you know. As one of the dog whispers I have been fortunate to find once asked me, Do you like everyone you meet? I used to think I needed a dog with impeccable manners. She takes treats like a shark, and I am the only one who can engage her in a game of rope toy fetch and tug without risking a digit. She drools belligerently through meals and would like a lap at the most inconvenient times. She is anxious when I pack for anything other than a workday and requires medication at the first low growl of thunder, her ears perking and her body convulsing at the pops of Fourth of July fun or New Year's Eve revelry. She is promiscuous in her love of all humans, embracing free love, a happy hitchhiker despite the dangers. I have abandoned any hope of recall. I joke about her status as a rescue dog, scooped from the bleak winter streets of Detroit as a tiny pup, origin unknown. She was fattened in a warm foster home and reared through puppyhood by a voluptuous orange cat. I hear the adage that rescue dogs exude a grateful attitude. Evelyn sweats entitlement, and that has become the way I survive getting deep in rescue, learning what humans fail to do for their animals and the horrors they inflict. Her absolute ignorance of suffering is my commitment to her, helping save the others even when I know we will never save them all, and coming home to ensure she lives the life most never will. This girl is a velvety, snoring life vest. I used to think I did not need many people. She has taught me the value of titanium links to her rescuers and foster family for all time. The dog whispers who have come into our life are much more than that. They are my guides, my prophets. Together, Evelyn and I, we find the good people wherever we go. And go we have, through three states, two cars, six dwellings, graduate school, and four jobs. We map a new life to other dogs and their people, shaped by ugly beginnings or middles, making new futures, all of us. As the poet Mary Oliver said, because of the dog's joyfulness, our own is increased. It is no small gift. The dog I need snores soundly tonight in the hot crook behind my knees. 
The Dog I Need by Kate Strum. Kate is a former Oklahoman now living in Idaho. Her literary work includes a Pushcart Prize-nominated audio essay, Spiritual Affliction, a thank you note to Oklahoma, for the Dear Oklahoma podcast, available at library.okstate.edu slash podcast. Do you have a story about a favorite dog or cat you'd like to share? If so, we'd love to hear about it and possibly include it in our podcast as we celebrate the common bond of love for dogs and cats everywhere. Just email me, kelly.commonbonds at gmail.com. That's episode two of Common Bonds Radio. I'm Kelly Burley. And remember, if you're in the market for a dog or cat, visit your local animal shelter or rescue first. Give the gift of love to an animal while making a positive difference for your local community. And if you're already a dog or cat owner, remember to spay or neuter your pet. So long, everybody. Common Bonds Radio is made possible by the Kirkpatrick Foundation, committed to making Oklahoma the safest and most humane place to be an animal by 2032. Information at kirkpatrickfoundation.com. And by the organizations of Common Bonds, working collectively on behalf of Oklahoma pets, people, and places in support of humane outcomes for dogs and cats, including the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter, promoting and protecting the health, safety, and welfare of pets and people in Oklahoma City. Information at okc.gov slash departments slash animal dash welfare. The St. Francis Animal Resource Center in Norman, a nonprofit shelter intervention program serving Norman, offering services and resources to keep pets with their families and out of shelters. Information at stfrancisarc.org. And Enid SPCA, envisioning the end of pet overpopulation and creating a community of responsible pet ownership. Info at enidspca.org.